today, outsiders become insiders. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, joins the podcast. That's right. No slip of the tongue. It is Woj talking to us as I caught up with him. He was in town for the Bucks game this week. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. You won't want to miss the next three podcasts because from now to the start of the regular season, you're going to get three in your feed, including the one you're listening to right now. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're downloading. Make sure you're checking out your feed before Wednesday's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But first, I want to get a take off the top. It was pretty cosmic timing to have Woj in town when the Bucks were playing because it relates to not only the jazz, but just to life. Like, I was reading Giannis, The Improbable Rise uh, by Mirren Fader like a weekend before, and I devoured the book, and it was awesome. And I just compare that to Can't Knock the Hustle, which I read earlier in the summer, and that's Matt Sullivan's book about the Nets, and I would much rather be in that Bucks mold. I'd rather have a book about Star, who is completely committed to the team and absolutely will do anything to drive himself to victory. That's just me. You know, in, in the book discourse, much rather have Mirren Fader poking around your team than Matt Sullivan. But I digress. That leads to what you saw in The Ringer this week, which was by Dan Devine, Find Peace, are the Jazz this year's Bucks? Is perfect because the teams met on Wednesday. Jazz finished the preseason, stay relatively healthy with Trent Forrest being the only big knock, and he's day to day after dealing with a concussion. It, this concept of can the Jazz be the Bucks? Something we talked about in this off season. It's a big theme of the year, if only because this was the traditional model. This was the way teams broke through. And think about it in the context of Mir and Fader's book, because the trajectory of Giannis is similar to what Jazz have gone through. Playoff disappointment. Just look at, since Giannis has become the best player on that team, the playoffs have been a house of horrors for him at times. Like Jason Kidd's first year, he's enabled to be point Giannis. He gets a ball in his hand. He's trusted with an offense. They lose in the first round in six games. Jason Kidd, in year three, loses to the Raptors in six games. In 2018, they get bounced in the first round in seven by the Celts. The big breakthrough comes under Bud when... They get the best record in the league, but they run into Kawhi. And of course, the fantastic flameout in the bubble to the Heat, where they swallow Giannis with Bam Adebayo. What did they do last year? They tinker with themselves. They try different things in the regular season. They aren't as concerned with getting the number one seed. And... Look, last season was awesome for the Jazz in achieving the best record. They needed it with the way that that team was going to prove to themselves that things were working, to show that they can achieve something. If anything, that puts themselves 
in the position this year of showing that they can be one of those top teams. But to me, it's not as big of a deal as it was last season. National media is going to judge this team off the playoffs and what they do in the postseason. I'm not saying anything that you haven't heard before. Everyone wants to see it from the Jazz team. Can they prove it? And they have to. They have to show that. They have to go into this year willing to try different things. In the preseason, you saw little bits and pieces of it where they could go small with Eric Paschal and switch everything. They have units that dominate the starting group, for one. I mean, look at last year. They were the 17th best margin of victory team in NBA history. So they can do it. And they bring back the top seven. But those additions can push them over the top, can give them more flexibility when they see different things in the first round, second round, conference finals. That's where the success is going to be judged. And you see the transformations that led to last season for Utah. It was a hard and difficult journey. When we started the podcast, this team had Dante Exum, Ed Davis, and Jeff Green on it. They struggled out of the gate. Then there's a trade for Jordan Clarkson. The offense is rejuvenated. Mike Conley still not as comfortable as he could be. He starts to show it in that showcase against the Celtics on an East Coast road trip. And then right as things are going in the right direction, the season stops. And when they come back in the bubble, dealing with COVID, dealing with all sorts of things, they come back, they don't have Boyan Bogdanovich, who was having a career season. They lose to the Nuggets in dramatic fashion. But that's after you see the gains of Utah going all in on three, going early in the shot clock, shooting faster, more possessions. And it crystallizes in last season. A record-setting offensive pace when it comes to three-pointers. Most made, most attempted. Seeing the transformations in the offense, coupled with them playing top-five defense, leads them to 52-20. and 20. So for me, I think back to what Giannis said after he won the championship. When he became the people's champ as the one who stayed the one that signed his Supermax extension, something that Rudy has done, extension, something that Donovan has done, staying, something that Mike Conley has done, after he became the people's champ by poking an eye at the super teams, the way that things have been done over the last couple years, he says, this is the hard way to do it. This is the way to do it. And we did it. Can the Jazz do it? That's what this season is about. Okay. Let others know you're listening to the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Subscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Like, let everybody know we've got Woj on the pod and make sure you're updating your feed heading into Wednesday, because three podcasts delivered to you up until then. And then we're off and running. It's the season. But let's not wait any further. 
Woj. He's on the podcast. And I said it wrong in his intro. I introduced him as ESPN Insider and St. Bonaventure's own. He prefers St. Bonaventure first and then the ESPN. So I disrespected him a little bit. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. But we got there. And I started off with, frankly, another thing that relates to Giannis because he started his career playing on courts that weren't fit for the Greek freak. The Miracle of St. Anthony. It's Friday Night Lights, but for basketball, a phenomenal read. If anything you learn from this podcast, it's please read. But The Miracle of St. Anthony is a pivotal, seminal basketball text about a high school in New Jersey that bonds the community together. And how can you not relate to that if you're a jazz fan? Here in Utah or in the Philippines, Australia, jazz bond everyone in this community. It's instrumental of what's happening in the country at the time and where it's going and the good people that are in that community. So we started there and then obviously got to the basketball. Don't worry, we talk about the current stuff. But it's Woj on the podcast for some insider talk. It'd be great to be here. I, I you had the wrong order, St. Bonaventure grad, then ESPN insider. I like to keep it in that order, but no, it's good to be in Salt Lake. Always fun to come through and see. Uh, see the guys here and you know, such a great NBA town and obviously a team that's, you know, can certainly make a case to be the number one seed again in the West and, and maybe, you know, and if healthy, certainly a team that can get to the finals, I think. I'm just trying to give the A-10 a little love because it, it needs it at this time of year with college basketball coming around the corner. Uh, we'll get to the, the jazz in just a moment, but I want to start with The Miracle of St. Anthony, the book that you wrote. I like to get this from many of our guests. Where did that project start? Where does this love of basketball, because that seemed very passionate, the way that you wrote it and the way it came together? Yeah, I was very lucky. Probably I always, as enjoyable, gratifying, fulfilling of a year or an experience I've ever had in this industry. I mean, I started at small newspapers and worked my way up to a little bigger newspapers. And I was just a regional columnist at the Bergen Record in New Jersey, not really well-known uh, beyond the borders of the metropolitan area. And, uh, you know, that book changed in a lot of ways the trajectory of my career. And it was such uh, just a, an incredible story of Bob Hurley and the, the nuns at St. Anthony's, this little tiny Catholic school in inner city Jersey City that didn't have a gym, a little brick building that was um, kind of near the Holland Tunnel, if you know New York and Jersey and put out, you know, the best high school basketball teams over 30-plus years. And Bob Hurley, obviously people know him as, uh, you know, Bob Hurley would always say I was just another high school, like there's one of me or two of me in every state, you know, who win a lot. And But Bob, you know, his son Bobby changed that. He became Bob Hurley Sr. And obviously Bobby went to Duke and had a historic career. And, and I spent a year at St. Anthony's really immersing myself in not just with the team – being at practice every day in the locker room, listening to Hurley's, he, had these, he would give these incredible speeches and volatile and heart-wrenching and 
all at once, but but also the nuns who were fighting to keep the school open. And every year, you know, Bob Hurley had ever left St. Anthony's and taken one of the many college jobs that he'd been offered through the years. Um, the school would have closed. He was able to single-handedly fundraise just to keep the thing going. You know, made I think was paid. I think the year I did the book, he might have made sixty-eight hundred dollars a year as the coach. He had been a probation officer in Jersey City, retired from that. And then when when I did the book, he was rec, he ran Park and rec, Recreation Department. So uh, bigger than life character, and, and an incredible story of a really unique group of kids and. Um, uh, just, and the book has had an interesting um, shelf life. Like I still have people come up and tell me they just read it or people, you know, people who read it when it came out, they gave it to their sons or daughters who are basketball fans to read and that it's had some staying power is pretty neat to me. And, uh, uh, and I, I look back finally on that experience and being able to tell that story. And um, there's nothing I'm prouder of in my career than having been able to, to do that book and, and tell that story. Well, and I talked to uh, former jazz coach uh, Gordy Chiesa about the book, and he says that type of life where the nuns are so integrated into schools, that's very, very much the life that he led uh, growing up in going to Catholic schools and, and seeing how you know, gum is almost keeping the place together. And, and that is a real thing that happens every day over there. Yeah. And it was a way of life. And that, you know, as the populations moved out of the city and parishioners moved out of those parishes, that it became more difficult to keep schools open. And you think back to some of the great, you know, if you're from the New York, New Jersey area, but in other cities, in Chicago, the, 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 um, uh, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, you know, there's some of the great Catholic, you know, in New York, Tallentine, and, uh, you know, just some of the great basketball, high school basketball dynasties or some of your favorite players went to these places. And now you don't have, like, it's like New York City basketball or n- northern New Jersey basketball. A lot of these guys now, they go off to prep schools, and they're not, they might, if you're identified at a younger age, you might not play where you grew up. But Jersey City, like those teams, you know, uh, obviously, um, one of my, in uh, Mouth of Wilson, Virginia, what's the great, what's the great prep school there? Steve Smith's been the coach uh, forever. Why? Oak Hill. Jim, Oak Hill, excuse me. Yeah. I can remember the town, but not the name of the school. But Oak Hill became, you know, Carmelo went there for yep. a year. And, you know, uh, so many great players came through there. But St. Anthony's was competing. They were mostly Jersey City kids. You get some kids from New York and you come through the bridge, come through the tunnel um, there. But, yeah, just a, a neat story. And, and um, you know, Bob Hurley, I uh, just saw him down at the Jersey Shore last month, Bumped in, actually bumped into him and his family and spent some time with him. And I talked to his son, Danny, at UConn all the time. Yeah. And Bobby's at Arizona State. Just, uh, you know, Hall of Fame coach. There's only a couple high school coaches in there, Morgan Wooten from DeMatha. And he's one of one. And I was, I've been lucky to cover some great coaches and be around some great coaches in, in my career. And he stands shoulder to shoulder with any of them. It is a fantastic story. The Miracle of St. Anthony, if you want to check it out. To the basketball at hand and while you're here, seeing some people uh, that you know on the Utah Jazz, what has been the rating 
for what Justin Zanuck and this group has done in the offseason, being able to get Hassan Whiteside, Rudy Gay, and make an acquisition for Eric Paschal, and not even to leave out re-signing Mike Conley. Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know, Whiteside coming in on a minimum is like, you know, you, you saw them kind of move some money around. Derek Favors goes out. You know, essentially you take that salary and replace it with Hassan Whiteside because, you know, there's money in different places. You're doing extensions. You're, And so I think that, listen, in terms of just roster construction, I think the Jazz have been a clinic over – a significant number of years with Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and, and Quinn Snyder and the role he plays in that. And, you know, when they find a Joe Ingles, when they find a Royce O'Neal, and then Quinn, you know, then he gets him better and figures out and finds the guys who fit how to play with him. And that's such a thing, such a trait of this organization is finding the guys. So many other places you have a revolving door of coaches and there's a distinct style and and expectation of you know what you're going to get with a Quinn Snyder coach team and they've always found the players that fit that and who can they can beat you in different ways saw a team shoot a historic number of threes last year and defend they've always defended at a high level here and you know there was that moment when Gordon Hayward leaves where you said okay the Jazz are going to take this step back and like you know it's hard to lose uh a player of that magnitude who's homegrown in free agency. And here comes Donovan Mitchell walking in the door off of that draft. And you, you've got another, you've got a star who's you got an even better player. And so um, I just think this is a model for uh, a lot of smaller markets. Um, small, the league is mostly made up of small midsize markets. There's only a couple LA's and New York's and Chicago's, but you know, this is a place where you've seen them, you know, draft well, make great trades. Uh, you know, certainly Bogdanovich has been really impactful. And you think back to that free agency when, you know, I think there was a sense uh, that the Jazz would get um, Miritich. Yep. Like they, they had a real chance. And all of a sudden Miritich decides, I'm going to stay and play in Spain like last minute. And Utah's moving. And, you know, I think Indiana thought they were going to be able to keep Bogdanovich, and next thing you know, $73 million, move the money around, and he's here, and he's been certainly an impactful player. So, like, there's a program in place here. That's not true everywhere in the NBA, but there's really a program in place that started with Dennis Lindsay and uh, in this iteration of it and Quinn and and now with Justin Zanuck leading the organization and, and an owner and Ryan Smith now who just, I think, has brought, you know, a real dynamic um, – it's had, I think, a dynamic impact on the team and Dwayne Wade being a part of the ownership group that, um, you know, they're not acting. They don't act like a small market. They don't want to act like a small market here. Uh, you've seen just such tremendous growth in Utah, Salt Lake City, that this is a place that, in terms of certainly the fan interest, but revenue and industry moving here and tech industry and sponsorships and all the things you need to bring in the revenue to have I think I think this might be the sixth or seventh highest payroll in the league starting the year, and so um, you've seen the commitment here. You know, re-signing Rudy Gobert, and of course Donovan. You know, the two hundred million dollar plus deals. If if uh, in Donovan's case, he makes All NBA. So um, you know, I think there's a infrastructure in place here that it's not just a team that's good that was good last year that'll be good this year, but has a chance to have a runway 
as much of any runway as you have in the NBA, things can change quickly on you. But but everything's in place here to be good for a while. How boxy is this feeling right now? You look at the way that they went through their ascent to the championship. They fell out of the playoffs. It was tweaking around the edges to get to that point where you saw Giannis ascend to that supernova status in the playoffs. Donovan has had a couple great postseasons, but hasn't seen health really go their way. How boxy is it feeling around here? It is, and I think what Milwaukee did gave a lot of organizations who are going to be built the same way some hope and that you can win a championship without having a super team built in free agency. You don't have to do what Brooklyn did or, um, you know, go down the list of teams in recent years who've been able to build their team, be able to get their star players to free agency. You know, if you're Milwaukee or you're Utah, you're not going to get your best player in free agency. Um, your, your free agency is going to be around the edges. You look at Milwaukee, uh, Brooke Lopez, a Pat Connaughton, guys who fit. Utah, you bring in Rudy Gay um, here. And, and, and so you're, you know, you, you trade for a Mike Connolly, but you draft Rudy Gobert, you draft Donovan Mitchell, you drafted Gordon Hayward. And then the key is to keep them and make guys want to stay. And build an organization and winning and all the things that make players want to stay and you can pay them more money obviously uh the way the cap structure works and so um it is a model and i think this jazz team does mirror um you know remember mike you know quinn quinn snyder is a mike Budenholzer disciple but has had such incredible coaching staffs you look at atlanta he had a staff of quinn snyder um kenny atkinson who became a very fine head coach, uh, Darvin Ham, who is with, um, who is still with uh, Bud in Milwaukee, is going to be a head coach in this league, and and I think that um, uh, you know Quinn kind of comes from that Bud tree, and uh, and there are a lot of similarities um, of how they run their team, how they coach, and um, really really good on both sides of the ball, and I I just think that uh, you know this is a Utah team that you know, has every right to believe it's, you know, it can compete for a championship. And certainly health is always a big part of it. Luck can be a part of it. And, um, but, you know, to think about being a high seed again and now having the idea of playoff basketball in the altitude, in Salt Lake, with the crowd all the way through having, it's a great advantage here. And, uh, and again, you know, you have a Denver team with Jamal Murray that, you know, you don't know when Jamal Murray's coming back. You don't know when Kawhi Leonard is coming back. I think both organizations hope they can get those guys back by the playoffs this year. That's the hope. And then you don't know, you know, it, sometimes it takes a while to come back off of injuries like that. And so there's an opening here um, where not everybody's at full strength where you say, okay, like just like Milwaukee took advantage of a Brooklyn team last year in the yep. playoffs that uh, no Kyrie Irving, James Harden kind of hobbling around on one leg. And they were good enough to be in position to take advantage of it. And that's what, that's what it's about. How do you see the West uh, now with, uh, obviously, Lakers getting the addition of Russ, having all that they have, Phoenix coming back after a NBA Finals run? Where can the Jazz fit in in that Western Conference hierarchy? I think this is a team that, you know, Phoenix certainly benefited from some good fortune last year. Again, they put them – they were good enough to be in position – to beat L.A. when A.D. went down. Um, and, and, you know, there was some injuries to some teams in front of them 
you know, all of a sudden they're getting to the conference finals and Kawhi goes down. They don't have to play him against. And so, but they took advantage of it. Um, and I think Utah's in a position this year, if they can stay healthy, that um, I still think this is a one, two, three seed in the West. We'll see, you know, how that plays out. But it's been a great regular season team that comes out every night in a regular season. Um, you know, you don't ever hit big lulls with this group. And that was trying to figure out, okay, how to translate that to the postseason. And that's a lot like the Bucks. The Bucks were a team that were, you know, perennial one seed for a couple of years in the East. And they would get to the postseason and go, well, you know, we didn't have quite enough diversity of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in Drew Holiday, who you saw what he did in the finals against Chris Paul, picking him up full court and really defensively. But, but offensively, you know, being that third weapon the Bucks needed. And, you know, this is a team in Utah that has – I mean, just some, uh, you know, a lot of guys who can, you know, we know what this group has been defensively. We know what having Rudy Gobert means to you defensively. I think the, I think there's no defensive force in the league like Rudy. But now, you know, you, you hope a healthy Mike Conley, um, Bogdanovich, of course, Donovan, um, uh, Jordan Clarkson, whose career has just taken off in Utah um, as a really preeminent six-man in the league that this is a team that has enough offense to get into the postseason and to be able to score with anybody. And and so, um, listen, I think this is still a Jazz team that has, you know, legitimate championship aspirations, and I think you're right. I think the Bucks are a good model of um, kind of how it used to be in the NBA, right? Like you, you get there and you, you advance a little further and you advance a little further, and then you break through. And big ticket free agency has changed that a little bit where you saw a team, you know, uh, my, you know, Miami with the big three. One year they fall short the first year against Dallas, and then they win a couple titles. And, um, you know, LeBron and AD get together. And AD was a trade, win a title together. And, and, a, and a Toronto team that very quickly, you know, who had advanced in the postseason and had been a perennial team, you know, gets Kawhi and wins a championship and, and obviously Golden State. But Utah and Milwaukee are a little more traditional what we used to see of, you know, coaches in place for a while, key players in place for quite a while advancing a little further, and then, you know, you hope you break through. And I'm looking forward to Quinn's adjustments during the regular season, much like Bud did last year with the Bucks. They were trying different things. What is Quinn Snyder's new wrinkle that he's going to bring in? Because he's, he's transformed this offense since the bubble when they started shooting so many threes. What's his new wrinkle that he's going to bring? I think that's going to be the most exciting thing for Jazz fans to look forward to in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Snyder is... If you did a draft of NBA coaches, you made all 30 available, and you told owners or team presidents or GMs, um, you've got the first pick, second pick, third pick in the draft. They're all available. And Quinn Snyder would be gone by three. He'd be gone by three, and maybe sooner. Um, he's that well-regarded. And, and, again, like you get a program with him, and I think he's in the mold of, you know, I think there's a group of coaches – and Ty Lue's in that group, and Ty Lue's got a, just a unique ability. Um, and, and you saw it with the Clippers last year, what he did. What, what he, it's funny, you don't, get a, you don't always get a lot of credit coaching LeBron in the NBA. You look at the guys who've had success. Eric Spolstra went through that in Miami. Uh, he's an incredible coach. And you talk about guys who'd be at the top of that list, I think Quinn Snyder now. Spoh's won two championships. Ty Lue's won. But I think, like, you'd have a group of Ty Lue, Eric Spolstra, Quinn Snyder, and 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 I think Mike Budenholzer would would be in that. But like 
that's how well-regarded he is around the league. Guys love playing for him. He gets guys better. He has them prepared. Uh, tremendous leader and and just an innovative mind. And, and so, uh, you know, it's it's so hard. I mean, Utah people here have just been used to having stability at that head coaching position. And, I mean, I don't know if Quinn will be here as long as Jerry Sloan was. I don't know if we'll ever see that again anywhere, what Pop's done, what Jerry Sloan's done. It's all a little more combustible than that. But um, I think there's a few teams in the league where you just say the head coach is really, you know, he's worth wins. He's worth um, a real edge in the postseason and, and, and certainly throughout a regular season. And Quinn Snyder's on that. He's on that short list. Is there any meat on the bone left in the Ben Simmons discussion with Philadelphia where you thought it was going to go? Well, he's there. He's physically in yeah. Philly. We're going to see soon how, how mentally he's there. But he's physically there, and he's going in and taking his COVID tests for starters, and he needs to pass several days of those before he could then rejoin the team. Uh, Philly is certainly no further along on a trade than they were a month ago. I think this is a tough time of year to make a big trade. Teams, no one's lost a game yet. Everybody thinks they're probably going to be a little better than maybe they will, or they're convincing themselves. But then all of a sudden, somebody's three and eight to start, or five and seven, or you know, eleven and fourteen, or maybe somebody who's supposed to be really good is, you know, fifteen and thirteen. And they go, we got to do something. We got to do. We got to make a splash. We got to make a move. Maybe we weren't willing to offer this for Ben Simmons in the summer, but now we're willing to add this to a trade or. And or teams who weren't involved before become involved because something changes. And so it's hard. It's hard to trade a player of this magnitude because it's rare that you're trading a player like that and you're not rebuilding. And so if Philly just wanted to get back young players and assets, they would have had this trade done a long time ago. They've had deals where they could have gotten multiple picks and, you know, good young player too, but they're trying to replace him not with future assets but with a win now, whether that's one player or preferably, but they want one like kick-ass player back for him, a high-level all-star. And anybody who's trading for Ben Simmons is looking to add him to a team that's already really good in most cases or to the team they have, not trade another really good player for him. So that makes it harder and it makes Philly more particular about what they would get back. And I think that's what's going to keep this thing from and what's kept it from happening yet. But things, I mean, I've learned, we've all learned things can change quickly in the league and decisions can change in places about what they're willing to do. But um, I think Simmons will be a sixer, at least for the foreseeable future. As for Kyrie, he's another story that, frankly, a month ago, I would have not expected this out of that organization out there in Brooklyn. How... Does that resolve itself when they draw a line in the sand and say you're either all in or in the way? Uh, they don't know how it's going to resolve itself. I'm not sure Kyrie knows that right now. This is unlike anything. There's no blueprint for this one. No. And I th- listen, there was optimism that he was going to get vaccinated and he would be able to play, and then it didn't happen. And may- it maybe it, will, it may yet happen. But it hasn't, and until it does, he's going to be sidelined there. And what's incredible is, and it's a tribute to the team Sean Marks has built there, without Kyrie Irving, you look at that 
Nets team, and a lot of us would still say I'd still pick them to win the championship. I would. I would. To me, that's still the best team. Uh, with Kyrie, if he's – I mean, he just hasn't played a lot for them in his three years there. He's just not played a lot of games. Injury, other issues last year kept him away, and then and then this year, you know, we'll see when he – when and if he joins them. But Kevin Durant and James Harden, that too is as good as anybody else's too. And you look at the role players. I thought Patty Mills was a great pickup for them. It was a good hedge on what might happen with Kyrie. And Mills is perfect for them. And, and you look up and down that Nets roster and Joe Harris. And um, there's a lot of talent there and complimentary pieces. And, again, Harden and Durant are as good as anybody's one, too. And so um, – uh, but the Kyrie thing will uh, – I mean, it, it's going to hang over them in the sense that he's still there, he's still on the roster. Um, and then if he comes, if he decides to get vaccinated and come back or somehow the, the law changes in New York about being able to perform unvaccinated, then, you know, then it becomes a very interesting dynamic to bring him back into that team. Jazz fans know exactly what Patty Mills brings as they watch Joe Ingles in the Olympics. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if you get an Olympic Patty Mills, you'll be completely <laughs> fine with that Nets team. Yeah. yeah, listen, this is a player who... You know, uh, you know, in San Antonio, just great, just a winning player. Brings a lot to the environment. Uh, I know how fond Joe Ingles is of Patty Mills, how much he's loved playing with him on the Australian national team. And uh, just um, he's just the kind of guy you like having around your locker room and your group and, you know, penchant for making big shots and winning plays. And, and uh, yeah, I thought that was one of the more underrated uh, pickups of this offseason was – uh, Brooklyn adding Patty Mills. Everybody wanted him. Let's go on this because I'm looking forward to the show. NBA Today coming up on ESPN. How do you anticipate that being an opportunity to see maybe you were talking about it before uh, we started recording, becoming an NFL Live-ish show for ESPN? Yeah, I think that's a really good model. and uh, We're all fans of NFL Live at, at ESPN. Uh, certainly a lot of us on the NBA side. And, you know, I'm really excited for Malika Andrews. She's going to do great hosting this show. She is just a tremendous talent um, reporter, uh, and and I just think there's a great vision for this. You know, built around a lot of news and information, and you know we have such a great group. I'm headed out there uh, for the rest of this week. Debut show is Monday on ESPN two, and then the show moves to ESPN. Uh, the, you know, from then on at three o'clock each day, but a lot of big name players are going to be on, um, you know, Zach Lowe and myself will be out there next week. And you'll see the people you've seen, you know, Ramona Shelburne and Brian Windhurst. And of course, I think Richard Jefferson and Vince Carter and Kendrick Perkins. And, um, but yeah, I think a show that just I think for NBA fans, NBA junkies, people who want to know what is happening in the league, you know, that'll be the show for you. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Uh, we start NBA Countdown next week, too, uh, with a, a reshuffled cast. Um, and so I'm excited to still be a part of, of that show. That'll be a little bit more out of New York. And Malika's hosting out of L.A. So I think it's going to be, um, you know, and obviously, you know, we start with, uh, as the league starts, we have our opening night uh, next week, too. But I'm looking forward to NBA Today and uh, NBA Countdown. And I think this will be with fans back in the building and and, and the calendar um uh, start of the season back to what we're accustomed to. I think this will be a lot of fun. 
Looking forward to it, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. He is ESPN's NBA insider, Adrian Wojnarowski. Thanks for having me.